FOPMX Network Production. A new view from inside the truck. X-Racer to Racer and Eye to Eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires and brought to you by Blenzall and Fly Racing. Welcome to Industry Seating. It is Sunday. We have just finished up the San Diego Supercross. Gotten home. It's sunny here in Boise, Idaho. Thankfully, it was sunny all weekend in San Diego. Last year was just catastrophically terrible with the mud and rain and wind. So yeah, great weekend. Uh, we had a nice, nice event. We did some cool things over at the USS Midway with our uh, fly racing camo white gear. If you guys saw that, something we had been working on a very long time, and I was excited about it. We did some cool social media videos where I pretended to be uh, Maverick from Top Gun, uh, one of my all-time favorite movies. So that was really cool. If you get a chance, check that out. But yeah, I'm excited to, to talk about it. What a what an awesome weekend, some really exciting racing, and we've been pretty lucky this year. It's been exciting. We haven't really seen a lot of runaways. There have been talking points and all kinds of you know things to bench race about, and we're shaping up for one of the, I would say the best seasons ever. That's such a cliche thing, but could be. It could be one of those series that we are coming down to the wire and we've got multiple people involved and you don't know who's going to win the title. Could we actually get three people with a shot to win this title, this 450 title coming into to Vegas and Salt Lake City? That's something we haven't had in a long time. Uh, maybe going back to, I'm going to say 2006 would be, you know, between Stu, RC and um, Chad. I can't remember one where there were three guys were realistically in it at the, at the final round. I don't know that that's going to be the case this year either, but there's a shot. There is a shot. I want to thank the sponsors. Uh, it blows me away that people actually want to be involved with this, this podcast. I am blown away that I actually want to be involved with this podcast sometimes. Uh, but Pirelli tires, they've, uh, they were, they were the first on board, uh, besides fly racing, of course, that goes without saying, uh, Plum Creek Funding, my buddy Zach Morris over there, he uh, jumped right on board and happy to help spread the word if you have any um, you know, home, home mortgage needs, home loan needs. And then we have a new one for this week, Works Connection, and uh, get into a little bit more about Eric and the things they have going on over there. But wanted to thank all them. It wouldn't be possible otherwise. Um, just excited to have a team behind me that we can we can do this every Sunday and, and talk about the races because let's be, let's be real. That's probably the most fun part of the week is talking about dirt bikes. We all have jobs. We have to go back to tomorrow. And most of you will be listening this to this at your, at your job. And, uh, yeah, the supercross races on Saturday are a nice release from all that. So without further ado, San Diego and in the 250 class, uh, I think we're starting to see the cream rise to the top a little bit. You know, it's, I don't want to say it's been the same pattern over and over, but if you watch what Dylan Ferrandis is doing to these guys, he's kind of starting to figure it out a little bit, right? You just see him, he's, he's been really patient. He's, uh, you know, he's getting a good start, which helps a ton, 
but he doesn't necessarily get to the front right away. He's not leading the first lap or even, you know, leading many laps, to be honest. Uh, and I don't know if that's by design. I don't know if Forkner's pace at the beginning of the race is significantly better than uh, what Ferrandis is, is able to do. Or if, if Ferrandis is mentally in a spot where he, he knows that once, you know, they get to halfway, he can start to pick up the pace and pressure Forkner a little bit more. I do think, though, that we have to start looking at the age factor a little bit, right? So if you start talking about Dylan Ferrandis and his experience level comparatively to the rest of this class, there's a pretty big gap. Um, not only was he your 2019 West Coast champion, which that experience speaks volumes, but this guy raced, has raced all over the world, right? He would race world championships, uh, all kinds of different cultures and situations and scenarios. You know, he's 25 years old. He'll be, he'll be turning 26 at the end of this series. And, uh, I don't think that can be understated. Really. We saw how valuable that was with Zach Osborne. Uh, you know, in past years, he, he won this championship a couple times. And I think that played a big role there. Uh, we'll see how that works out for Jeremy Martin when we go East, but I do really believe that experience and, uh, poise in some of these situations as you're, as you get older really plays a big factor and, and it's helped for at times. Now, if you wanted to, you could throw that back in my face and say, okay, great. Yeah. He's showed a lot of poise. Well, what the hell was he doing today too? Then why is he taking everybody out and riding, riding crazy and doing all these things that he probably shouldn't be doing? And I don't really have a good response for that. Uh, that type of riding was very indicative of what we saw when he first came over. Uh, I want to say that was 2017. I could be getting my years mixed up, but his first year in, in Monster Energy Supercross, that was the type of riding we saw where he's trying to take everybody out. He's riding overly aggressive, crashing in the midst of that and ruining any of his chances as well. But I think he's really turned a corner and I don't know if the probation is weighing on him or if he just said, okay, I can't, I can't do these stupid things if I want to win this title. But, uh, even with the aggressive moves he's still making and you know, the crowd's booing him for it, but I just rewatched his pass on, on Forkner this weekend again. And man, I don't know what else you can do there unless he just gets a run on him and blows past him in the whoops or something it's really difficult at these guys level to make a pass without being aggressive and getting in there. You know, he didn't make contact. He stood on the pegs the whole time. He even did the the double out of the corner after, you know, making the block pass. Uh, you know, that's two weeks in a row where Austin Forkner has been, you know, on the, the receiving end of it. And Austin's had to go off the track both times, but, but I don't necessarily think it's been, a contact issue where he sent Austin off the track. Uh, I just think Austin's going in there trying to maintain his commitment level, which I commend because that's, that's brave and it's difficult. But when you go in there, you stay committed like that. You have to go somewhere. You know, he's not really breaking so much early and giving, giving Dylan the line. So when he's got to do something with that momentum and, and other than crashing, the only alternative is really to go off the track. So Almost carbon copy passes, almost carbon copy races the last two weekends. But uh, I think Dylan is just showing his prowess a little bit of his experience and his, uh, you know, he's got a lot more racing at this championship level under his belt, you know, whether it's motocross the nations or world championships or supercross here, a championship last year, he's got, uh, he's got experience in spades. So 
He's pulled out a little bit of a gap now. He's got a seven-point lead over Justin Cooper, who really wasn't a factor last night. Uh, I'm sure he will take the podium finish and move on. But he really wasn't on those guys' pace last night. And uh, I don't know if it was the whoops or if it's just, uh, you know, he's in a little bit of a slump. But we certainly haven't seen the same Justin Cooper that we saw the first couple rounds. So the good news is, is that there's a gap now or a break, excuse me, and uh, they can go work on some things and try to find that intensity that he had early in the season. You know, the simple fact is that if he wants to win this title, he's going to have to win some races and he's going to have to perform when these East-West races come up. That, those races are the biggest opportunity to either close the gap or extend the gap between you and your rivals. You know, you're basically doubling, doubling the, the competition level in the field and especially how deep the East Coast looks, there's a lot of opportunity there. When you really look at the West Coast right now, Yes, Moseman can get in there, uh, but there's, you know, McAdoo had more issues last night and, and they were able to dispose of him anyway. There's really no one in that class that's capable of getting in there with those three right now. That's the way I see it anyway. There's always, it's always possible that, you know, Moseman steps up or McAdoo has a great night, but week in and week out, your top three are pretty defined. And that, that makes it very difficult to make up a lot of points. So if you're Austin Forkner, you're 13 down now. And you're kind of looking up the the guy that's got the momentum and winning races, has the points lead. You know there's only really three of you that can kind of mix it up. So I can't stress enough how critical those East-West races are going to be that you've got to come out on top and hopefully some guys get in between you. Uh, because you could you could close down 10 points in one night without without really disaster striking your competition really just more making the most of the moment. So we'll see how that, that shakes out. But, uh, if you're Forkner, man, you've got to keep your head up right now. You know, I don't want to say he's outmatched because the, the margin between the two is, is so close. And I I wrote that in my notes, you know, outmatched with a question mark. I don't think he is. I just think Ferrandis just has an extra 1%. And I don't know if that's, 1% 1% speed or 1% experience. I think it's a little, you know, just a combination of all of it. Because if you, you look at timed qualifying, he's the fastest guy in almost, almost every time, right? He, he has that edge. So that speaks to a speed edge that he's got. Then you look at the experience that I've mentioned a few times and you look at last year's championship run as well. That's surely going to breed confidence for him. So I just think those guys have a tough task to beat Ferrandis right now the rest of the way. Him getting good starts or putting himself in the top five on the first lap is it's almost a death knell to the rest of these guys because he can close down a small gap. You know, if you look at the races where he struggled results wise, he was way back. He was out of the top ten on the first lap. And then it was almost too much to make up for him. But if he's anywhere near those guys and can see him. Uh, they're going to have to have just a spectacular night to be able to beat them. So we'll see how it plays out. But yeah, it's been a, it's been a great West coast series so far. And, um, I'm, I'm excited to see how this thing shakes out. If we know anything in this, uh, 250 class, we should know that there's still excitement along the way. Nothing is predictable as even if we think it is, it's just proven that it's not. So, um, yeah, I, I've, I've liked what I've seen from Ferranis. I don't like the booze. Especially last night, you know, the A2 thing, I kind of, 
I understood it. Um, I don't know if it was really called for. That's every fan's right. If you paid your admission, you can boo. I don't, I don't really care. I didn't really love it, though, at San Diego. I didn't really think it was called for, but I'm sure there's a lot of residual. And a lot of those same fans that were Anaheim at Anaheim, too, were at San Diego. So there's probably you know people that are still upset. And anytime you see the same rider being aggressive in the same way, even if it wasn't in a vacuum, as Steve Mathis would say, even if it wasn't necessarily a overly aggressive pass in a vacuum, everyone still has that A2 imagery in their mind. So yeah, onward we go into into the East Coast. Brand new series, all new riders, everyone's healthy. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to talk about that next Sunday after Tampa. I don't even know what to really make of it yet. Um, I know all the all the key players are, but I don't know who would be the favorite. I guess McElrath. Um, I guess you would have to make him the the alpha, but I don't have any real conviction there. Uh, Colt Nichols is still injured. I don't know what his status is going to be. I'm assuming he's going to try to race, but I don't think he's really even ridden yet. So I don't know what effort or what kind of uh, expectation we can even have for him. Uh, you know, Jeremy Martin makes his return. Unfortunately, Hunter Lawrence won't be out there. That's a bummer. Uh, but we're going to have a lot of, a lot of new fresh faces. RJ Hampshire in his first year with, uh, Rockstar Husqvarna. He's a part of the Alden Baker program. So I know they're expecting big things, but yeah, it'll be fun to kind of flip the script and turn the page, get into the East coast and have a whole new set of talking points for that class. All right. 450 guys. And Pretty, pretty awesome race, right? I mean, I love this year because every single time the gate drops, I don't know who's going to win. You know, I, I'm with people all day and all night, and um, I run a VIP program with uh, the Rocky Mountain KTM team. And, of course, you know, they're asking me who I think is going to win and for insight on that. And the great part of it is I don't really know. <laughs> I, I'm kind of guessing at it just like everybody else. And in that scenario, I'll take it every time because – there have been a lot of years where you you know who's going to win pretty much when the gate drops. It's almost a foregone conclusion because there is just that alpha guy that's dominating, uh, or at least one of two guys you know are going to win. We don't really have that right now. You know, with the influx of rookie guys, the the series is remarkably healthy. Um, so yeah, it's it's really wide open, and that's absolutely the best thing for the sport. I love the parity. I love the unpredictability. And uh, let's just hope it continues. That's that's a big win for everybody if we can keep that going. So, obviously, the big story of the night is Cooper Webb. He was absolutely fantastic. But an interesting day for Webb. Uh, I I was very impressed watching time qualifying. And I, I'm sorry, I'm hesitant as to which way to approach this because he was so much better in time qualifying across the board. But he was blitzing the whoops. And he was doing it really well. And it was something I, I wrote down in the first, very first untimed session is he was very aggressive in the whoops right away. There was no hesitation. There was no fear. And he attacked him. And it was something I, I wrote down. And then having spoken to Jason Wigan and, and a few others, and even listening to Cooper Webb himself, he made the whoops his biggest priority for this weekend. And he challenged himself to be the absolute best guy in the whoops this weekend. Listen, I don't know how you do that. Uh, I told myself I was going to be great in the whoops too. Didn't ever work. Uh, well, say ever, but 
usually didn't work, right? It's, it's very hard to just say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to fix my weakness. I'm just going to be better. You know, in, in one week, I'm just going to fix all the problems I've had. That that's a t- pretty tall task. I don't even know how you would go about that. I know they tested a ton. I would assume they changed the bike significantly to help him. Uh, and really what that means is you're, you're probably going to have to compromise. You're going to have to give up some of your, your ability to turn. You're going to have to take, um, a little bit of weight off the front, probably raise the sag a little bit, probably go stiffer on the forks. Uh, there's, there are a lot of ways to do it. Um, finding the right combination is really critical there because anytime you inherently want to say, okay, I'm going to be better in the whoops. That immediately means I'm going to go stiffer on the forks almost every time. And and I, I don't want to say it absolutely because there are different ways to go about it. But from my experience, being better in the whoops almost always means stiffening your forks to give you more confidence in them, um, to allow you to hit them, hit them with more entry speed and also to lessen the compression on the front, which is, you know, every time your front end compresses, that's slowing you down and taking away that forward momentum. The stiffer your fork is, the less, the less it compresses and the more it drives through them. So in theory, your, your forks are best served almost being as stiff as like a BMX bike. You just don't want any compression at all. The difficult part there is that now, how are you ever going to get your bike to turn if it's that stiff in the front? You know, so the, the same theory goes, if, if the forks won't compress in the whoops, they're not going to compress when you go to enter the turn either. So you can't get the bike to lean or turn or really steer at all. So if you go back and you look at James Stewart way back, you know, go back to the, you know, 2007, eight, nine seasons, you would often see him crash just by losing the front end on a hard, slippery corner. Uh, he was pretty notorious for, for having that happen, especially at the slippery races like Anaheim, you know, comes to mind. You can go back and watch old races. It would happen to him over and over and over for that simple reason right there. His forks were so incredibly stiff that he would lean on the front and ask too much of the front tire and the forks wouldn't compress and he would just, he would just fall over really more than anything. It also allowed him to go incredibly fast through rhythm sections it also allowed him to go faster than anybody else through the whoop sections with confidence. And, and if things went wrong, his forks were so stiff that it would save him. So it's always a compromise. Like I said, uh, it would be interesting if they would get specific on the bike changes of what they did. Uh, I doubt that's going to happen, right? I, that would be a good question to ask Cooper is like, Hey, did you guys go super stiff on the forks? Did you raise your ride height in the rear to, to, um, or excuse me, lower your ride height in the rear to to give you a little bit more confidence with the rear staying down. Uh, did you guys do anything with internal changes, you know, more rebound, less rebound? Did you change your, um, ergonomics with your, you know, your geometry, bigger foot pegs, lower subframe, different linkage, uh, different offset, triple clamps, different races inside those triple clamps. And I'm just naming off just the basic changes you can make. It's important to, to mention there, though, that every single change you make, whether you change your triple clamps or you change the linkage or you change your sag, which is what I, when I say ride, ride height, I obviously mean the sag, every change has an unintended consequence that you have to also factor in. So if you change the linkage, which could lower your ride height in the rear or give you a different a ratio so for how the, the shock's going to react, 
that's going to change how it turns. That's going to change. Uh, sometimes it's going to change stability. If you change the triple clamps, it's going to change something in the rear that you're not intending, right? So if you, uh, change the triple clamps and make the bike, you know, your wheelbase shorter, it's going to help you turn better. That's going to have a negative effect on how your bike handles in the whoops. Conversely, if you went from, let's say a 20 millimeter triple, triple clamp offset to a 22, that's going to help him in the whoops. That's going to give him a little bit more positive feel and probably, uh, help in the rougher sections of the track, obviously the whoops, and, and this would be outdoor related too. that's going to negatively affect how the bike turns and how maneuverable it is and how nimble it feels. So it's all give and take. Um, but I, I will say that whatever they did seemed to really help him in those time qualifying sessions. And, uh, I got a little long winded there, but I think it's critical to talk through some of that stuff because, you know, he, he he can just make a short comment there and say, yeah, we, we changed the bike and way better than whoops. Now it, there's so much to that. There are so many layers to what did you do? how many, how much testing did you have to do? Because like I said, one small change has a ripple effect through the bike of, of negative consequences too. And that's how these guys can test themselves into a bad spot. Justin Barsha and Aaron Plessinger last year, I think were in that spot where they, they tried so many things that they kind of lost themselves. They had changed so much that they couldn't really get back to, uh, something that worked everywhere. And, um, yeah, anyway, for Cooper Webb, (laughs) the most interesting part of that was that he didn't really need any of that because yes, he had the whoops. He was better in them. He was, he was your fastest qualifier a few times in practice. I I think Cincerillo, uh, just nipped him at the end a few times, but it's been a long time since we've seen, we have seen super, if I could learn how to talk, I would get that out since we have seen Cooper Webb be at the top of the board, especially on a track where the whoops are just brutally tough. So there were, it was noticeable. And then in the main event, he's like, yeah, I got that, but I'm just going to jump them. I'm just, gonna, I'm going to go win the race by finding a rhythm through both sets, which was the key to his success last year. We saw him do that time and time again last year and win races. So I think it's interesting. He, he may be onto something here. And I wrote an article for MX vice last week, leading it up to San Diego, where this round of the series that we just exited was very, very critical as to what happened the rest of the series. Cooper Webb got on a hot streak and Eli Tomac started to falter a little bit. And it was pretty remarkable, the drastic change throughout the rest of the season for both of those two riders. Because coming into this round last year, Cooper Webb was eight points down. This year, he was 18 points down. So it wasn't like... Cooper Webb dominated from the beginning last year either. He kind of caught fire around this round six, round seven time. And then he just put so much pressure on these other guys. They, they couldn't respond. They had too much, uh, just variance in their results where Webb was just up there every single time. He was first, second, second, first throughout the whole season. If you go, and if you go back and look at the results, it's remarkable how his last 10 races are so played out. So I I was curious to see how that would go this weekend, if there would be any similarities. Um, And I really don't believe that it's, it's strategy. I I don't believe that Webb's kind of been holding back or sitting back. And, you know, if you've seen Rocky four, where 
you know, <laughs> when he fights Apollo Creed, the, the trainer is kind of waiting, 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 and then it just yells that word in Russian and, and Drago just unloads on him. I don't think that's what Webb's been doing. But there is something to it. I mean, Webb was a, a different guy this weekend. He was confident. He was faster. His starts were better. It was like he had put the whole package together. And listen, it could just be something as simple as whatever they tested and he gained that confidence in the whoops. That that can absolutely play out on race day. I, I've lived it to where one little thing mentally turns the page for you and it's on. Like you just roll into the track and you're you know it's go time and you know that you're gonna be better than you've been all season. So I think Chad Reed was pretty smart to say these guys should be worried about Cooper Webb even at 18 points down, he cut that lead in half this weekend. He's only nine points down now. Uh, It's anybody's series, and Webb made a huge statement this weekend. So we'll see where it goes, but I would be very, very cautious if I'm the rest of these guys about where what you allow Cooper Webb to get rolling here momentum-wise. So Adam Cincerillo, second place, and incredible ride. I mean, he, he was awesome. I mean, absolutely awesome. And in those first few laps, you were wondering, is he, is he going to win this thing? Because he is, he's capable of just running away. We've seen him do it on the 250 many times. And when you have a guy that's been your fastest qualifier, almost every single time that he goes on the track, you know, he has that elite level speed where he could run away. Cooper Webb did a great job to hold on to him and not allow him to get away. That was really critical. You just can't let Adam get out front to where he can mark and gauge these guys. And I think also, too, Adam is still learning how to manage a 21-minute race. You know, he's, what, six or seven of these in? I mean, he's still very new to a race that that's, is that long on a Supercross track, especially against this level of competition. So I think Cooper Webb just played, um, you know, his trump card for lack of a better term there and uh just out experienced him you look at you know they're they're almost the same age or they might be exactly the same age but webb's been in this class for this is his fourth year in this class and that that's a pretty big deal that's a lot of racing and a lot of experience and he is your reigning champion of course where adam's still trying to kind of gain his sea legs on a for a 450 main event but i I really like the way adam approached this race i liked how aggressive he was he did not take anything from Cooper Webb. Every time Cooper, you know, tried to make a move, Adam responded and responded aggressively. So he's certainly not scared. He he knows he's good enough and capable enough, and he's coming for everybody who's interested. He's coming. I do think it's going to be a while, you know, not this year before he's a, a title threat. I, I still think you're going to see mistakes from him that cost him races, much like Glendale. But long-term... Adam Cincerillo is going to be a title threat and he's going to, he's going to win a lot of races in this class. He just has so much speed and so much natural ability coupled with how well he's adapted to the 450. I think it's pretty obvious. He's going to be a threat in this class. Uh, it's just going to, it's going to take a minute. He's got, he still has some things to learn. I'm going to go into, to Ken Roxon here and, and I'm not really going in any particular order. I'm watching the race on TV right now, and uh, it's kind of a strange race for Kenny. I don't, I don't necessarily know what to make of it. Honestly, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't great. It was just kind of, eh. It was, it was all right, you know. Um, I think the, the biggest thing that held Kenny back, 
<laughs> and Ey Tomac too was Justin Barsha. I just don't think he was aggressive enough early enough with Barsha to get going. Uh, because if you saw Kenny's heat race, he clearly had the speed, right? He was gone. I mean, absolutely gone in the heat race. So it wasn't, I don't think it was a, an inability to ride the track well or an off night or anything like that because his his heat race was incredible. I just don't think he could get going. And he tried to get around Barsha a few times, and I think it screwed his rhythm up a little bit. And he just never really refound that that pace that he needed. I think it rattled him a little bit and then Tomac was all over him. And I think is one of those cases where he was thinking about what he's doing too much instead of just letting the race come to him. He was thinking about what's happening and you know, a lot of racing when guys are riding their best, they're just instinctive, right? They're not, um, actively thinking about what's going on. They're just kind of reacting and, and doing what comes naturally and yeah, okay, you know, I've spoken a little bit about there is thinking going on out there, but there's a fine line between thinking about what you're doing and staying in the moment and then overthinking it. And uh, I just, when I watched Kenny ride in that main event, it just looked like he wasn't kind of in the zone where things are just happening and you're you're not really fighting it and you're allowing it to, to come to you. He just didn't really seem to have that last night in the main event anyway. So not terrible you know, certainly wasn't great points wise. You know, he has still has a red plate. He has a one point lead over Eli Tomac, but giving up nine points to Cooper Webb was not ideal. Uh, that, that really hurts. Um, as far as when you're looking at an overall season, they kind of had Cooper Webb at bay a little bit with an 18 point gap. And that's, that's a race now, you know, it's nine points. We're not even halfway yet. So that's, uh, that's really anybody's series when it didn't necessarily look that way a week ago. Uh, next up, I, I want to talk about Blake Baggett a little bit. I really believe Blake should be much more relevant in this series. Uh, I think he's like 40 points down right now. For the speed that Blake's had, that's crazy. Um, he has been much, much better than that. He just really hasn't been able to put it together, whether it's the Osborne crash at Glendale that, that really hurt him. Uh, you know, he crashed on his own in day two in that slippery spot where I, I think he could have won that race. I don't know if he would have beat Tomac there, but it, he would have gave him a fight. I think for sure he gets second that night. So he probably should have had a few podiums, uh, definitely a, a lot of top fives already, but really this is the first time we've seen him near the front at the end since a one, you know, that, that fourth place he got at a one. And I think there's more to come there. I'm, I'm a little curious as to what kind of happened with him the first lap or two, because he, he really had the whole shot. And then I don't know if he just didn't have the pace on the first few laps or he got stuffed by Justin Hill. I couldn't tell what happened to him at the very beginning. Um, but he certainly lost time and lost touch with the leaders, which he was able to regain. But it's all, it's one of those things where, you know, you have to make up so much time on riders like AC and, and Webb. That's a tall task. Like, imagine if you didn't have to make up, you know, four or five seconds on those guys, what you could have done to them if you were already with them. So I thought it was a great ride. I thought it was a, a great stepping stone to what's capable and what's next for him. Um, I know they're not satisfied over there. I know they believe that they can win. Uh, but it's a, it's a really deep field and you've got to take podiums when they're there and they're available. And that's absolutely what he did. So good ride for them. Nice to see them. It's just another, 
another guy in the mix, right? It's another team that's on the podium and that's, that's good for everybody. That's good for sponsors and the sport in general. We need deep fields and all the OEMs to be represented, represented. That's not a word represented, uh, in this series. So good for Blake. (laughs) I have uh, this pass next on my list. Uh, I have Justin Brayton, but really what kind of prompted me to talk about him. If you guys didn't see the Brayton and Jason Anderson ordeal, which you probably didn't because I don't think they showed it on TV, it was right in front of me, so I had a front row seat to it. So early in the race, Jason Anderson's, uh, I think he had a little bit more speed than Brayton. He comes up on him, and he tries to make a pass in uh, this kind of option section that was right after the, the two triples. And it was, I don't want to say a really popular passing point because it was really hard to execute without knocking the guy out of the way. And Anderson just goes in there and knocks Brayton off the track for lack of a better, lack of a better term. So Brayton is obviously pissed, right? He's not pumped. Well, as he's off the track, he has to go around a few of the jumps to get back onto the track because of the way the tough blocks are placed. So he's riding next to track, jumps back in and immediately, (laughs) picks an angle right for the, uh, the apex of the next corner. And I like, I'm, I was standing next to Steve Mathis in the press box. And as I see him, ang- like he jumps at an angle and I grab Steve cause I, I could see it coming a mile away. And he absolutely erased Jason Anderson from that main event. I mean, just hooked him up and I don't think Anderson saw it coming and just, I mean, just, he didn't even T-bone him really just when, when Anderson wanted to make the apex, Brayton took his front wheel and said, yep, see ya. See you next week. Um, you want to talk about an aggressive, well-executed takeout? And I, that's what I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it a takeout because I think Brayton was super pissed off, and that's exactly what he wanted to do. <clears throat> I don't think it was even really a block pass. So, you know, I, I kind of felt this way about Anderson for a while. You live by the sword and die by the sword. It's not really a secret that Jason Anderson is one of the most aggressive guys out there. Probably next to Justin Barsha, he's the most aggressive guy out there. He's the guy that most guys are shaking their head about when he's coming through the pack. And I, I just think Brayton was like, dude, like, really? You know, like in his, in his helmet. And you saw like, you know, you don't really see Brayton ride that way very often. But, you know, I've mentioned this to several people in the past because they're always kind of like, you know, are why don't these guys take each other out or ride more aggressively? Are they not good at it? And I'm like, no, anybody at this level, if they want to take somebody out, they can, you know, I, I, for myself know if, if I wanted to ride that way, I certainly could. It just wasn't how I really thought people should race each other. So I didn't do it very often. And I don't really see Brayton do it very often. If ever, if ever either, but he certainly did last night. He had enough of Jason Anderson and he, decided that Jason Anderson had had enough of that main event too. So he blasted him right into, uh, into Tampa. Pretty interesting. We'll see if there's any, uh, repercussions the next time Anderson passes Brayton. I would not be surprised at all. Anderson's really not the type of guy that's going to make a big fuss about it. And I, we were watching really closely to see if, um, Anderson said anything, said anything to him after the main. And I don't think he did. I 
kind of think Anderson's the type of guy that the next time he sees him, he's just going to smash him and even harder. So keep an eye out for that throughout the rest of the season. I don't know if it'll be a Tampa. I don't know if it'll be a Dallas the week after that, but I I do think it's coming at some point. I think Anderson's going to exact his revenge eventually. What else we got here? Um, Tomac. Yeah, I probably should have mentioned him earlier, but the start, man, the start's killing him. He rode really well. You know, he wasn't the quote unquote fastest guy on the track. I don't believe he couldn't close down that massive gap that he let get built up, but he did put himself in a position where he had to deal with Justin Barsha. And that's not really any fun. I don't think anybody has any real interest in racing Justin Barsha closely. It doesn't look like a good time at all. Ask Marty Davalos about that. And they went back and forth and really seemed to hold Tomac up and kind of kill his forward momentum. And I don't want it to seem like I'm hating on Barsha because I'm really not. I, you know, I, I think it is good that Barsha fights for his position. I don't necessarily always like the way he goes about it. I think he has taken cheap shots in his past. I, I didn't see too much of that last night. He, he certainly was in there to make contact or, or whatever and fight for his spot, but it didn't help Tomac. I think it killed any chance for him to get up and uh, even to try to catch Baggett there. Uh, once he finally cleared Barsha, you know, the damage was done. So you wonder if he's able to fix the starts to the rest of the series. Um, because I think if Webb gets on fire here, Webb has his starts dialed. Well, it seemed like last night anyway, that was what he did last year. He put himself in a position where he was going to get the start every single week. And by the time Tomac could get up there, it was game over. So we'll see what Tomac can do about it. You know, he's only one point behind the lead, so I don't want it to seem like he's in some perilous position. He's actually in a better position than he's been in most years, series-wise. It was just a little worrisome that he got a bad start on a night where Webb got a good start, and you, you saw how that could play out time and time again if Tomac allows it to. Um, I think the biggest the biggest upside of what Tomax, you know, kind of had happen is Webb hasn't really been on his game yet. So he hasn't been penalized by Webb for getting bad starts yet. And that's going to be the the pivotal thing. I think as we get on the stretch is who can consistently put themselves at the front and who's going to put themselves in 10th on the first lap and not be able to catch up. So we'll see what happens there. As I mentioned, Zach Osborne, buddy, I don't know what's going on, man. I know he's still dealing with some sort of illness, he was dead, dead, dead last on the first lap. He had some sort of crash somewhere. And it has just not gone well. I think that's an understatement. And listen, I, I love Zacho. He wears fly racing. But it hasn't gone well. It didn't go well this weekend. He just really hasn't been able to put it all together in a while. I mean, yeah, St. Louis is pretty good. He had a good ride today too. But I don't think even those rides were necessarily what he's looking for. You know, he wants to be on the podium. This is a multi-time 250 champion, and he's he's struggling right now. So I feel for him. Um, keep your head up if you listen to this. It, it's going to come around, right? You know, if we know anything about dirt bike racing, it's if you don't like what's going on right now, just wait a while because the results and the all the themes are going to change. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens for old Zacho, but. If he, can, if he can get good starts like he did in the heat race, you know, and, and continue to do that, it, it will come around for him. He's just got to keep his head up, and, you know, it helps him to ride with Cooper Webb for sure because Cooper's going to have all the confidence in the world right now, 
And if you can go battle with Cooper Webb on, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and get that through your head that you're just as fast, then yeah, you'll be fine come Saturday, right? Just find Cooper and go with him again. Um, so yeah, sorry, Zach, sorry, things are going rough, but, um, man, it's, it's not an easy class right now. I have Malcolm Stewart written down here. Uh, I was talking about, about this with Steve and Mookie's been pretty good. Not bad. Right. But don't you just feel like he's, he's missing that little extra bit that he's had. And we've talked about this before. I've talked about it on this podcast. I've talked about it on, on some of Steve's shows. I'm going to guess at this point that he just doesn't want to get hurt. He's trying to be careful. He's trying not to have a big crash that puts him out of the series because if it's not that, then what is it? You know, I don't think he's lost talent. I don't think he's lost ability. Uh, he had lots of time to prepare coming into the series I really think it's just a mental mindset he's put himself in where he's going to finish the series and he's gonna finish races. And if, if he's only got so much speed to do that, then that's so, so be it. That's what it's going to be. Uh, I don't know what's better. I don't know if he, you know, the Mookie fever, you know, heat race Mookie, all the, the terms we've come up with for him is, is better than riding in, you know, seven, eight, nine, tenth place and finishing the whole series. I don't know. Certainly breaking your femur is not in the, in the cards, right? Anything but that. But I do think he's got to find a way to get a little spicier. He's got to find a way to show some of that speed. And we saw glimpses of it. We saw it at St. Louis in, in the heat race where he just blows by those guys in the whoops. But I was watching for it in the whoops this weekend and he really didn't have it. He did not have an edge in the whoops over guys like Baggett or Brayton or those guys. And I, that's, this is a track where if you're going to exploit your strength and, and use it as a tool against these other guys, that's, this is a track where you have to have it because you've got two very, very difficult whoop sections in a row and he just wasn't able to do it. So I don't know what to make of it. Um, I'm glad he's in the series. I'm glad he's still healthy. I just thought I would see a little bit more than I've seen from him. And, uh, listen, we got a long way to go. Maybe he's going to turn it up when we go East coast, Tampa and Daytona or, you know, in the next few weeks. And those are his home races. So maybe he'll, uh, he'll break out some of that, that Mookie speed we know lives inside him. So let's talk about, uh, sponsors a little bit. I got to catch you guys off guard so you don't fast forward, but, uh, Pirelli tires, guess what? They won this weekend. Um, they're getting ready for the world championship series to start. So there was a race in Hawkstone in uh, Britain this weekend, Jeffrey Hurlings won. He of course uses Pirelli tires. There was also an Italian championship race that Tim Geiser and Tony Cairoli were at. Guess what? They also use Pirelli tires. So Pirelli's off to a hot start and we really haven't even got into championship level racing yet, but, uh, they're dominating again. The race in Hawkstone was pretty muddy. Good luck finding better mud tires than Pirelli's. And, um, I'm sure they used to those to their advantage in England. And then, uh, Mantova is a track that I've ridden in Italy that they were at. It's pretty sandy, uh, gets really rough, but yeah, really, really nice racetrack in the heart of Italy. And, um, yeah, so congrats to those Pirelli riders. Another thing I wanted to mention about Pirelli, Chris Kiefer just did a test on the 32 midsoft front. So go check that out. Go to keferingtesting.com to read about that. Um, see what he thought about that front tire. It's one that I've mentioned on this podcast several times, and I, I absolutely love it. 
I want to talk to you about Plum Creek Funding. Uh, if you want to talk to Zach Morris about any of your home loan needs, uh, he just advice even, right? If you want to refinance, if you're looking for a new home, interest rates are at a two-year low. And if Boise's real estate wasn't exploding so much right now and I refuse to, to pay what these people are asking, I would be in the market for, for a new house right now. I just tell these people, no, I've looked at a few houses and I'm like, you people are out of your mind. I remember what this house cost two years ago, but hopefully one of these days I will be a homeowner in Boise. Uh, call Zach. You can email me. Uh, he's licensed in uh, Colorado, Nevada, and California. They're working on other States as well. Uh, you can also email me and I can get you his cell phone number two and put you in contact with Zach Morris over there. His cell is 720-212-4685 if you want to reach out to uh, to Zach directly. Uh, Works Connection, brand new sponsor. Uh, Eric Phipps and the guys over there, they have a new device and this is probably something that maybe Eli Tomac wants to look into. Just kidding. Uh, it's a pro-launch start device. Uh, a lot of the race teams use this, uh, you can put it on any bike, right? Any OEM bike out there, Honda, Yamaha, Kawasaki, KTM, Husky from 50 CC up to 450 CC. So basically everything out there you can use this for. And if I'm sure most of you that race have used a starting device of some kind, they are, you know, life changing. I remember when they came out in 2002 was the first year I ever used one. And my dad being, uh, you know, the mechanic that he is, he just built me one, you know, out of just spare steel he had laying around and, and it got me lots of hole shots that year until I got hurt. So they do work. Um, try, go out and try this new works connection one. Um, they sponsor all the teams, right? They sponsor team Honda HRC. And that was really kind of their first foray. Steve Lampson really kind of put works connection on the map back in the early nineties. He was, um, he was local there with Eric in Northern California and they've been around ever since I use work connect works connection for years. I think their frame guards and skid plates were what really made them famous. Um, you know, they were, they were on all the factory bikes. The factories were actually reaching out to him to put those onto their, uh, their factory bikes. So a sponsor still sponsor team Honda HRC star racing, Yamaha, smart top Honda, JGR, on and on and on. Uh, they are, you know, one of the legacy companies out there. It's all made in the USA. Uh, I mean, in a word, they are moto. So I'm really happy to have those guys on board. I really appreciate Eric, uh, believing in me and, uh, you know, coming on board. I want to talk about blends all of course too. Uh, David over there. Uh, it's funny how it started with David. He just kind of reached out and was like, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking of buying, um, a, a well-known oil company. And I was like, okay, well, how can I help? And he was just honestly asking for advice in the industry. And, and I didn't have the most insight. It's certainly not about oils at the time to, to help him with, but anybody that wants to get involved with this, with this sport on a business level, I'm going to give them whatever insight I have, because I know how awesome it is. And I know how much we need uh, this sport to grow and, and have smart business people involved and offer great products. Um, this is the sport I've been around my whole life. So I, I, I'm all for it. Uh, and then that, that conversation just kind of grew and, you know, I, I, he ended up buying blends all and they're on the way up. Uh, they got their web, website going blends They have their social media. It's at blends all. Uh, I told you guys last week they're offering free shipping on cases of oil. So that's pretty cool. If you've ever 
paid for a case of oil shipping wise. That's not very much fun. So they're doing uh, free shipping on a case of oil. Um, so check those guys out. You know, I think they really have uh, a name in two stroke stuff. That's really where I think they have the edge on everything that's out there. You can run some of their stuff. You can run it in two stroke and four stroke, which is pretty cool. So if you have both bikes, you don't even have to, uh, you don't even have to switch, switch cans, right? That's kind of a pain in the butt having two, two different cans for, for gas for both your bikes. You're always stressing about putting the, the can with no oil in your two stroke. I've seen that happen. I've seen guys blow their bikes up similar to what a seven deuce deuces song is. Right. Um, so yeah, you don't even have to worry about it, right? There, there are lots of cool things that, uh, blends all has and has had for shoot. I don't know, 50, 60 years, you know, going back to all the, the hot rods and, and drag racing and all the things they made themselves known for. So check those guys out. Cool guys over there. And, um, just enthusiasts too. Uh, all these sponsors that I have, that's really the kind of the common denominator is they're all enthusiasts and they all are in it for the right reasons. I mean, they're just passionate about the sport, right? This isn't fortune five, 500 company type stuff. I mean, even fly racing is it's a one owner, right? It's a family owned business. And yes, W Western power sports has grown by leaps and bounds, but these are all small brands, right? Pirelli is, is racing to the core. I mean, they are so involved in every level of racing, whether it's two, two wheels or four, they're all so passionate and they're all at the races every single weekend and have representatives there. And they're, you know, um, escorting dealers and customers and showing people a good time. And, and they just want to be there. And that's that, those are companies that I want to be affiliated with. And those are the ones that I want to be able to share messages with you about as those guys. So I want to jump into the power rankings. I appreciate you supporting our sponsors. Um, I got a little long winded with sponsors, but I, I owe it to them to, uh, to share their message. And if you choose their products, that's awesome. But at the end of the day, I just want you to be educated about them. And if you can take that into the store, when you go to make your purchase, I feel like that's a win for everybody. So anyway, on to the power rankings. And I'll make these pretty short and sweet because I went through a little bit of this already. But for the first time in 2020, and I, and I know this probably made his Sunday, Justin Hill is in the power ranking. He's number 10. And I think he's earned it. He replaced Zach Osborne. Sorry, Zach. Don't hate me. But I think he's earned it. He's, he's really trying. And we haven't seen the 2018 Justin Hill where he's vying for a race win. But we have seen a consistent and... Uh, a Justin Hill that's giving a lot of effort and that, that resonates in my book. I'm all, I'm an effort guy. I don't care if you don't have the talent or you don't have the speed to win, but if you're, if I can tell you're trying, that's going to work for me. So congrats to Justin Hill on a very useless power ranking on the industry seating podcast. I have Mookie at nine. He's kind of been hanging around there, you know, eight, nine, and I just want to see a little bit more. Don't hurt yourself. Don't crash. But just a tiny bit more is all I'm asking for. Weed a heat race. Win a heat race. Be in the mix for a podium. Um, maybe he would have at Glendale if he, you know, he had that crash. Um, but I, I just want to see a little bit more from him. Uh, so we'll see if he's able to do that. You know, he was eighth place last night. Not terrible, but not spectacular either, right? I have Barsha, or excuse me, I don't. I have Brayton just ahead of him. Uh, pretty solid night for Brayton last night, seventh. And he's he's really been in this this eighth, ninth spot all season. He's been in that seventh, eighth spot in the results column all season. 
he looked great in his heat race. Uh, he was able to hold off back. He actually went up and caught AC in that heat race. So great to see him flash that speed again that he had in the beginning of the season, uh, especially day one, you know, he wasn't able to hold on to it, but he was up there in the mix for a long time. So good job by him. Um, if he can just hang around the top seven all season, I think that's a win for Honda, right? I, I don't think he necessarily would love that, but I think if you have Ken Roxon vying for a title and you have your rider number two run, running around in, you know, five, six, seven, eight, I think you got to take that. You're, you're going to be willing to take that. So series moves on for Brayton. Barsha, I have just ahead of him and good effort from Barsha. He fought hard for it. You love to see that. But um, this is a guy that was your red plate holder and a guy that some people were saying was a new Barsha and that he was going to be a title contender. I've been a little bit down on that talk. Um, I thought this was going to be where we saw Barsha more often than not. Uh, I thought he would get displaced by the Cincerillos, the Tomacs, the Webs, the Roxons more times than not. And that's kind of what we're seeing. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's going to keep you probably on a factory bike. Uh, I just think he has higher hopes than that. He wants to win races. He wants to be on the podium. I just don't know that he quite has it. I, I don't know. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. Maybe we get back to the East Coast and he picks it back up. Um, I just have him penciled in for that five, six, seven spot. A lot of the races upcoming. Just ahead of him, I have Blake Baggett, and he's moved forward a little bit. Third place last night. Finally made good on the speed that he's shown. Uh, you know, all the speed in the world's great, but if you can't put it on the results page, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but yeah, podium. Uh, he was wearing that camo white LE gear, so thank you very much for that. Really needed that. Really appreciate that. Uh, but just cool to see for that whole team over there. Obviously I'm very close to that team. I raced for them for six years. So, uh, it's close to my heart and, uh, love to see Blake get up there and, um, battle for some wins. I, I think there is more coming. I think he has more in the tank. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a good first step. I have Jason Anderson in your top five, terrible race from him last night. Brayton knocked him down, but then he crashed again on his own. And the same corner he knocked Brayton off of uh, just happened to be same place. But he's been really solid. I, I'm not going to weigh too heavily on last night because it was just kind of a freak deal. But he's he's been really good. Uh, I don't think he's really a title contender. Last night certainly didn't help that. I just kind of felt like he was a top five guy. And I thought he was missing that extra 1% that it's going to take to win a lot of races and really be in this title fight when it comes down to the last five races or so. But Hey, there's nothing wrong with being right where he's at. He's, he's still very relevant in this series. I have AC at four. I think AC could move forward, but he's going to have to win some races. Um, that Glendale race hurt his points, obviously. And, um, like I said, I don't see him being a title contender down the stretch. I, I think you're going to see a few more races where things don't go his way. I think you'll see a few crashes. I think you'll see a few bad nights that are just a part of the learning process. Uh, I think it's important, though, to look where he is in his first year of 450 racing versus where Cooper Webb was in his first year of 450 racing. He's significantly better, right? He he has it all together. He has the fitness. He has the speed. Uh, he's just got to learn a little bit. He's just got to gain some experience and he's going to get there. I just don't think 2020 is necessarily 
necessarily the year where he's going to be able to put it all together. So just have a little patience with AC. We all love him. Well, maybe not everybody. I personally am a big fan. Been watching him race his whole life, and he's always been nice to me. You know, he's a big deal. He's he's a superstar of this sport, and he still makes time for people who, you know, I'm a nobody, whatever. He always says hi to me. He always goes out of his way to be nice to people, and, and that goes a long way with me. Your number three spot, and this is this is going to get a little weird, and I can understand how you would complain or disagree, but I have Roxon at three, and yes, he is your points leader. I get it, and that's why I say it's weird, and that's why I understand if you disagree. But last night wasn't good. That was not a good race for Ken Roxon last night. He gave a lot of points away, and more importantly, gave a lot of points away to Cooper Webb, who is now has a ton of momentum, right? He's probably riding high on this Sunday. Um, hopefully he can rebound and just kind of wipe that away. Uh, but that's two weeks in a row where Webb has really taken it to Kenny. And I obviously took it to him in Oakland physically, and then just mentally took it to him uh, this weekend in San Diego. So keep an eye on Roxon. You know, he's obviously keeping it fun. That red hair was pretty cool. Um, you know, all, all the traditionalist old people, which I have been one of those, right? I, I, I like things traditional and I like things straightforward, but I love the red Mohawk. That's cool. Like I, I have no problem with having fun with it and, um, celebrating, you know, the red for Honda and all that. stuff. I think it's awesome. So keep it fun, keep it fresh, but he's got to mentally hold it together and stay at the front. He cannot let a race from web like that really kind of get him off his game. He's got to remember who he is. He is a bad dude. He is Ken Roxon, right? He is world superstar, race-winning guy, arguably the most famous guy in this sport worldwide. And he's just got to remember that. He's got to, he's got to take that confidence with him to the starting line when we roll into Tampa next weekend. I have Webb at two, and I, I came close to putting him at one, man. I really, really did. Even nine points out of the lead. I just think his last two weekends have been – very pivotal. And this weekend, of course, he wins a race, right? And, and, um, wins a duel with, with AC. But I think that Webb is one of those riders where if you give him confidence, you have made a very big mistake. Um, these, these guys should be doing everything they can to knock Webb off of his pedestal come Tampa. And I don't know if that means roughing him up in practice. I don't know if that means just absolutely making sure you are faster than him in time qualifying. I don't know the recipe for it, but I do know it's necessary because Webb is not a rider that you want to continue to build momentum with. I mean, just look at last year, they allowed it to happen and off he went, he was gone and they could not stop that Webb train from just careening off the tracks and just destroying everybody. I mean, he, he just crushed everybody down the stretch and you can almost see it. You can almost see the writing on the wall Alden Baker is going to be drilling it into his head last night, today, probably was all week last week is like, now's the time it's go time. We're going to win a bunch of races and it's time to take a stranglehold of this championship. So there's going to be a lot of jockeying and I think Tampa could be one of the most pivotal rounds of the series. And I'm probably going to say that every week I'll find a reason to think it's going to be the most pivotal round. So just bear with me on that. But this confidence thing can't be overstated with Webb gaining it and these other guys, you know, derailing that momentum from him. So just keep an eye on that and how that unfolds 
If Webb goes in and wins Tampa too, hold on. Just buckle up because these guys are in for a rough ride down the stretch, in my opinion anyway. So I, I still have Tomac at number one, though. Uh, he's teetering on number one. I almost had Webb there. But uh, he's only one point out of the, the series lead. I think he's in the catbird seat as far as where he would want to be and where he's been in previous seasons, you know, after this many rounds of the series, what are we six or seven rounds in? I can't even, uh, can't even keep track, but he's always had a tough time getting out of California in a good spot. And he is this year. He's right there, right? So it's bad. Last night wasn't good. He wasn't on the podium. He didn't ride terribly, you know, poor, poorly. I'm going to learn English one of these days. He didn't ride badly, but he is so good. You feel like he should almost always be on the podium and he wasn't able to do it. He just let those guys get out front and he's, he was messing around with Barsha back there and, and they checked out on him. So he's probably looking at it like, dang it. I left points on the table. If I get up there and I don't even have to win. If I just get on the podium, I'm leaving California with a red plate, right? I'm leaving this, this part of the series that I've struggled in so badly with the points lead. I think that would have been a pretty big statement for him to make. Uh, he's still fine. He's one point out, but um, he, he left an opportunity there. Uh, we're going into a few races here where it's, it's critical for him to step up. Uh, Tampa, he's done well at. We've, you know, we've seen him perform there before. Um, but Dallas, to me, is the one I have circled, and we're less than two weeks away. If you remember last year, this was a race where I was literally standing up in the press box wondering what the hell he was doing for real. Like that's, I I was standing in the press box and I, I said out loud, what the hell are you doing? Because he was going backwards. He faded all the way to 12th place in that main event for seemingly no reason. I don't know what he was doing. So is he going to have another race like that? Is that going to happen where he just mentally, I don't even know the right term for it because I don't understand what he does in those moments. I don't get it. Is it just full meltdown? Is he, is he, you know, just unable to process all of the, the nervousness and pressure and he just can't ride. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know. And I don't think he's ever going to be completely forthcoming with it, but he's got to avoid that. And, and Dallas is, you know, that round that happened last year. And for all of the talk there was about it last year and all the talk I'm doing about it now, think about what was going through his head after that race, trying to sleep that night, trying to sleep that whole next week, how many times he was asked about it, how much he probably had to talk about it with the team. And he may not have had answers. So I would almost guarantee that it's running through his head that race is upcoming and he's in a great spot and he can't have a bad race. He can't throw it away again. This is his opportunity to win. Uh, so how does he handle all that? How does he handle the expectation? How does he handle not winning the championship the last few years when everybody thought he, pro- he, he could and should? Um, but I'll, I'll still put him at number one. I, I still think he is on average your fastest guy and your most likely guy to win a race on every Saturday night. So, um, doesn't have the points points lead yet. Hasn't had it all season, but he is your industry seating power ranking number one. So this is the longest podcast yet. We're over an hour. I apologize for how long winded I was today, but, uh, there was a lot to talk about. There was a lot to talk about in 250. There's a lot to talk about it with Cooper Webb in the, in the 450 class and how he is, 
he's finally arrived in this 2020 season. I want to thank all you for listening. Uh, like, like I said, I'm overwhelmed at the feedback I've gotten. People have been so nice to me and that's, that's not very common (laughs) on social media these days. It's a, it's a very difficult place and criticism is everywhere, but the people who have just mentioned that they listen and they like it and whatever, that means a lot to me. Um, you know, because I'm putting myself out there and, and I'm rambling for an hour right now. I haven't pressed pause. I haven't stopped it. There's no one else in my house right now. I'm just talking into a microphone for an hour straight. So it is challenging. It is difficult, but I'm having fun with it. And as long as you people like it, I don't know what I meant. I didn't mean anything by you people. So just as long as everyone likes it, right? It's 2020, you got to be careful with what you say. Um, but I just wanted to be something different and, and a different voice out there and a different opinion and something to fill your Monday morning because just like you, I'm going to go into an office tomorrow morning and have all kinds of things coming at me real fast. And it's nice to have a little bit of an escape and listen to talk about dirt bikes and uh, have that release and escape. So we will talk to you next weekend, crossing the country, going back to my home state of Florida and uh, on to the East Coast. Thanks again. Thanks to all the sponsors. And we will talk to you in a week. See you.